Good morning, church. God speaks to us in his word in Exodus 1, 15 through 2, 10. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrew you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away to nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning. We can do better than that. Good morning. morning. Yeah, I didn't drive out this way just to have like a good morning, you know, like, no, it's really good to be here with you guys. Uh, As uh, Pat said a moment ago, my name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors, uh, frontline downtown, teaching pastor, which means occasionally I get to come out to the congregations and uh, and share Sunday. So it's been a while since I was out here last during a school year. So to see so many college students in the room is a lot of fun. I'm really glad you guys are here. And uh, we, love, we love being a church that hosts you guys, and so we're glad, glad that you guys are here. Well, today, um, I'm especially glad uh, to, to kick off this sort of new sermon series with you guys uh, called Feminine Virtue. Uh, this is coming on the heels of some stuff we did last weekend as a church, uh, the, the conference called Feminine Virtue, where 700 women across our congregations uh, and really across our city uh, gathered downtown for a weekend to, to think together, to pray together. Uh, to fight for one another in prayer about what it is to be a woman of God. And it was an amazing, powerful weekend. So many stories of you women from Shawnee traveling up together, getting hotel rooms together, you know, getting the cops called on you guys because you're so crazy. Um, Not not really, but just having a good time in Shawnee. (laughs) People are like, really? The cops were called in Shawnee? No. No, you guys are amazing. You just had a good time, I'm saying, in Oklahoma City. You painted it red and represented yourselves strong uh, over last weekend at that women's conference. Amazing stuff, but the, the testimonies have been really powerful. And um, what we're going to do now, coming out of that, is a three-week sermon series on the very, sa- on the very same thing. We're going to think carefully together about biblical womanhood. 
And what we're trying to get after in this series, just to sort of pull us all together, a few introductory remarks and I'll pray for us. What we're trying to get after in this series really comes at the core of our theological vision of a ch- as a church. One of the things that we seek to be, by God's grace, is a gender-redeeming church. A gender-redeeming church. And I'm fully aware that the idea of gender, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, even the question of what is a man or what is a woman, is hotly contested ground in our culture. Very few people tend to have an answer to those questions that would agree with one another. And people oftentimes will end friendships. Uh, They will even not talk to family members because of issues around these questions. And so I'm totally aware that that's controversial and we have no interest as a church to take up controversy for the sake of controversy. That's, that's called foolishness, right? Uh, not one of our pastors has the idea of having, uh, being a human pinata for the next three weeks as people would beat us with their opposition to what we have to say. We're not taking up controversy for the sake of controversy. But the value, what we're trying to say is the value that we have on seeing the glory of God in man, seeing the glory of God in women, and the depth of what it means to reflect the image of God as a man or as a woman is a value that's worth leaning into. And so it might be hotly contested ground in culture, but when we come to the scriptures, it's holy ground. It's holy ground. Culture can do whatever it would want to on these issues, but God actually speaks these issues first. And it's holy ground. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the glory of womanhood as God designed it. As we open up the pages of Scripture, we're going to see women that were captured by the glory of God to such a degree that they gave their lives away, not as generic people, but women who gave their lives away uniquely as women. And the last thing I want to say by way of introduction is that as we lean into this, we live in this sort of hyper-individualized cultural moment where we think that only the stuff that pertains to us or the stuff that deals with us is the only stuff that really matters. And what happens is when we can bring that into the church, we have this way of thinking where we'll either check out mentally or check in mentally and emotionally based on whether or not we think something is addressing us. What I mean is, you'll sit here and think, if my particular life stage is being addressed, if my particular questions are being addressed in this sermon, if what I'm interested in is being addressed, then I'm going to lean in because this is about me. But if my life stage, or for you brothers in the room, my gender isn't being addressed, then I guess these next three weeks don't deal with me, and I'm going to check out. And the idea is, what I want us to see is that not only does God want to offer over the next three weeks what I believe to be some really powerful transformation to the sisters in our church, this is actually a moment of discipleship for all of us. Hey, isn't it true that what's good for one member of a family is actually good for the whole family? When one member flourishes, doesn't the whole family flourish? If that's true in a biological family, then it's certainly true as the people of God. And so what we're praying for is not just you sisters in the room. You sisters have been prayed for fervently by our elders, by our women leaders in the church, have been prayed for fervently. The conference was an expression of that. But we're also praying for you brothers, for you men in the room. We're praying that God would give amazing gifts to you sisters over the next few weeks. But we're also praying, brothers, that God would give us 
that God would give us the gifts of repentance for the ways that we have failed to appreciate and to dignify and to recognize what God has given in the sisters around us. We need to repent. But we also need to be drawn out with new gratitude, not just about sorrow for ways we've missed it, but gratitude for ways that he's still inviting us by his grace to live along these beautiful sisters. And so we're praying these sorts of things. And I want to be clear and up front as I pray now that um, the, the mystery of womanhood is profound. And I don't want you to have the expectation that somehow in these three weeks that we're going to have sort of a comprehensive overview of what it is to be a woman. That's not the idea of these next three weeks. We're not going to possibly get to every issue. We're not going to possibly be able to answer every question. But what we have done is there's been a whole host of resources that have been helpful to our leadership community. We've posted those on our church website. So if you care to read more or think more or know what we've been reading and what we've been thinking about, uh, you can go there and check that out. And we'd love to have those conversations continue. So with all of that as a bit of introductory matter, where we're headed the next few weeks, if you please pray for me, I'll pray for you, and then we'll jump in. Sound good? All right. <coughs> Excuse me. That was the most awkward cough of all time. <laughs> Our God, we come to you. And I just want to confess, <clears throat> because I feel my own physical frailty today, I want to confess, God, that um, we're frail in every way before you. We don't understand much of anything like we should. We don't understand ourselves like we should. We don't understand you to the degree that your word proclaims you to us. And so God, I'm asking over the next few weeks and even today, would you give us the gift, Holy Spirit? Jesus, would you pour out the Holy Spirit on this place? Would you, would you lead us into truth just like you say you will? Would you lead us to understanding? Would you lead us to discernment? Would you lead us to precious places for the women in this room of feeling affirmed by God their Father? Of, of receiving the dignity that comes from the living God? And I pray, God, would you address all of us together, even the brothers in the room, where we would come together and we would confess again that it is good to be made man and woman both in the image of God. Help us to live a fully human life and not reducing ourselves to sort of the ideas of the world. We want to submit ourselves to the truth of Holy Scripture. And we offer this prayer in the strong name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Well, the only reason that we get to talk about God, think about that for a second. <laughs> the only way we get to talk about God, the only way that we get to talk about any of this is that 2,000 years ago, we believe that God broke through and God showed up at ground zero. And when he did, darkness started to be pushed back. And when God showed up at ground zero and darkness started to be pushed back, all of that was happening through a young woman's receptivity to God and to life. Quite literally, you can say that the kingdom of God dawned in a virgin's womb. Think about that. With Mary's yes to God, the gloom of sin, the darkness of death, and the demonic powers and principalities were being scattered through the birth of this woman's baby. 
It was her willingness to carry his life and to bring his life into the world with all the sacrifice that came around it, with all the pain that would come around it, with all the ridicule that she would face because of it. It came with her yes to God and it quite literally changed everything. What Mary did in saying yes to God and the birth of Jesus quite literally changed everything. One of my favorite pastors and thinkers is a guy in the UK. His name is Andrew Wilson. And he says it this way. The world fell, talking about sin. The world fell in a man through a woman, Adam and Eve. And the world is redeemed similarly in a man through a woman, the Lord Jesus and his mother Mary. And so while it's true that no other woman will give birth to God incarnate, no matter how amazing we think our kids are, they're not God incarnate like hers. And though millions of women will never experience the unique joys and pains of biological motherhood, all the sisters of Mary, all women are called into the glory of offering life to the world. All women are called to that. And so today is about the feminine power to give life, to foster life, to cultivate life. One of the greatest things that God is revealing of himself in woman, and it's true of all women, it's true today if you have children. It's true today if you've experienced the pain of not being able to have children. It's true today for women who through life circumstances don't have children. All women are created in the beginning and by God's design as life givers. Genesis 3 and verse 20 says this, the man called his wife's name Eve because, I love that language, he called her Eve, not like, here's a random name that I like. He called her Eve because she was the mother of all living. The language of that verse mattered when Adam said those words, and the language of that verse matters today. When Adam called his wife's name Eve, which simply means life or living, when he called her that, when he described her this way, he was describing something of her unique God-given essence as he recognized it. He is able to look at her and say, there's something about you that's different than me. We're the same in so many ways. We share so many commonalities, but there's a wiring, there's an essence, even just by the visual, you're different than me. And notice this, Adam names her this. He recognizes the life-giving nature of her, of her essence. He's not creating that. God is the one who created it. God is the one who gave it. But she's recognized as the mother of all living. She's recognized as one who can bring life even before she carried a child. They hadn't known each other in that biblical sense at Genesis 3.20 yet. That's amazing. He's naming something about the power she has even before she's ever carried a child. And that's what I mean when I say that part of what God is revealing in woman, and this is true of all women regardless of circumstance, what I want us to see today as we turn to Exodus chapters 1 and 2, that passage that was read moments ago, is the beautiful invitation of God to women to be life givers. And to be life givers includes all the kind of relational fostering of life, all the kind of like spiritual work of like spiritual motherhood. Everyone in here has women who have sort of mothered them who weren't their biological mothers and that's amazing and beautiful. Relational motherhood, spiritual motherhood, just sort of offering, what, fostering the life that God is bringing, but it also extends to biological motherhood. 
And so let me give you a little bit of background into this passage in Exodus 1 and 2. The Exodus, this deliverance narrative of Egypt from slave, uh, sorry, from Israel from slavery to Egypt, is the definitive, it's the definitive redemptive work in the Old Testament. And what's amazing about the work of redemption that God brought to deliver his people from slavery is that ever before Moses showed up, ever before Moses came onto the scene, before the Passover event, before those epic scenes later in the book of Exodus, before God brings judgment on the gods of Egypt, before the parting of the Red Sea where Charleston Heston rages through, you know, before any of that stuff, at the beginning of this book, before any of that happens, God raises up a resistance movement to defy the culture of death and to defy the culture of enslavement that was present within Egypt. And what's wild about that resistance movement, this is amazing, guys, it wasn't led by a prophet or by other prophets. This resistance movement against the death culture and enslavement culture of Egypt wasn't led by warriors. It wasn't even led by priests. The leadership of that defiance movement was led by a group of midwives. It was led by a group of ancient delivery nurses. Think about that. Ancient delivery nurses, and then it moves to a mother named Jochebed. These women were women that embodied both spiritually and physically feminine strength that stands as life givers. And they stand as a reminder for the community of, of God's people for all time of the unique essence of womanhood. That to receive life as a gift from God really is a gift from God. And to cultivate and offer life to all those that are around them. Notice again what happens starting in verse 15. It says, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them was named Shifra and the other Pua, which I think ought to be top 10 names this year in our children's ministry. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, the Egyptian king says, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And they didn't do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. And so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? You let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, in this sort of politically shrewd way, I love this, well, because the Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. They're all the more vigorous and they give birth before we can show up. And so God dealt well with the midwives and he multiplied the people, and they grew strong. And because of the midwives, verse 21, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast it into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This passage speaks to the courage of these midwives who at the time may or may not have been mothers. Some of them later became mothers, but at the time, many of them weren't. But they say something amazing about, this says something amazing about their feminine courage and their burden for life. And the first thing that stands out is that twice in this passage, it says that these women feared God. They feared God. And what's amazing about this, they were the ones who started the defiance movement, realize that. 
They feared God and their motherly instinct gave courage to everyone in Israel. What they were saying is, listen, we can have a big vision of Pharaoh and do what he says, or we can have a big vision of God and do what he says, but we can't have a big vision of both. And they spoke courage to all of God's people because they feared God. Pharaoh nor the world gets to tell us who we are. Pharaoh nor the world gets to tell us who we must be. Pharaoh nor the world gets to tell us what we must do. Those prerogatives belong to God alone. After all, we're made in his image. They fear God. And the other wild thing about these women is that they were working tirelessly to protect and receive life at great risk to themselves. They could have been killed. Like, to even look Pharaoh in the eye was a death sentence. And he gave them the command to kill all of the male children, and yet they let them live. They were doing this at great risk of their own lives. It was a great inconvenience to themselves. They were willing to stand in the mess of all of this for the joy of what was on the other side. Remember, in verse 18, Pharaoh calls them and says, Why didn't you do what I told you to do? And they had this wise way of giving a non-answer to his predatory question. But what they were essentially saying is this, when God gives you a gift, you don't throw it in the Nile. When God gives life, it's not something you can just pitch into a river. That's what they're essentially saying. And I'm a, I'm a father of four kids myself. I've got two uh, daughters, 12 and 10. I've got two sons, uh, eight and six. And I'm a pastor in this church, which is a lot of young families in this church. And here's something that I know that these midwives also bear witness to. Babies aren't born at convenient times. They're just not. Babies are incredibly inconsiderate human beings. They don't tend to care what you think about stuff. They don't observe banker hours. They don't care if you want a nap. They don't care if it's too hot. They don't care if it's too cold. They don't care if it's too early in the morning. They don't care if it's too late at night. They want what they want, and they're going to come into the world when they're going to come into the world as God determines it. And so what these midwives are modeling for us is the kind of willingness to be inconvenienced by life. To be inconvenienced by life. These midwives are saying something powerful about feminine essence that's really about human essence, but specifically what's going on here is they weren't the center of their own life. These weren't their own children. These weren't even the children of their own immediate family members. They're just recognizing life is coming forward. And these women, I'm going to say this twice because this is amazing, these women were willing to risk their own lives and lay it down for the flourishing of another. These women were willing to risk their own lives and lay it down for the flourishing of another. That's not just courage. Do you hear the echoes of that in the gospel itself? That our Lord Jesus laid down his own life at risk to himself for the flourishing of another. Life-giving and motherhood are shadows of what lie at the core of the very heartbeat of God's love for humanity. And so these midwives weren't just a witness in their moment. They're also a witness to you and me today. And so sister, what, sisters in the room, what happens is that their story, their testimony calls forward into this room today 
and a couple of questions are asked of us. Like if, if these midwives were to stand on this stage, I think that they would ask, will you fear God? Will you fear God? We too live in a culture of death and enslavement in many ways. Will you fear God as they did or will you let the voices of the world tell you who you must be and what you must do? Will you let the world to define success and beauty for you or will you allow the prerogative of the living God to define those things? Will you fear God? And the second question that they would ask of us is will you be receptive to life as a gift from God even at great inconvenience to yourself? Will you be receptive to life? Notice what verse 20 says. It says God dealt well with the midwives. And so what happened was the people multiplied and they grew very strong. Hey, this was true not just in the moment of the Exodus, but it's always been true for the people of God throughout biblical history, throughout church history, when women have stood courageously to receive life and to foster life, it's always been a blessing. It's always a blessing. And so today, if you find yourself here, an older woman, a younger woman, if you find yourself here with kids, if you find yourself here and you don't have kids, what this passage is bearing witness to, to the unique essence of womanhood, is that God has a ministry of life-giving for all of you. For all of you. And as this passage keeps moving forward, it goes from talking about life and life-giving in a generic sense through these midwives, and it moves to the specific sense of motherhood. And as I move, as I make this jump with the passage, I realize that what can happen so many times in talking about motherhood is that there are those in the room who, for whatever reason, can't have kids, don't have kids, have lost children. And so because sort of there's this tenderness in the room that I always want to be aware of, and out of not wanting to sort of single anyone out or bring the single women into the moment and to say, hey, we're gonna also include you, what can end up happening out of so much tenderness and tiptoeing around those sensitivities is that we don't talk about motherhood in the ways that the Bible talks about motherhood. But in the midst of recognizing all of those realities, uh, what I wanna do in the last part of this sermon is to hold up the glory of motherhood in the ways that God wants to offer life to the world through moms. And so look at Exodus chapter 2, the story of Jochebed, Moses' mom. We'll just read the first three verses. Now a man from the house of Levi went, and he took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that the child was fine, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took, him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. A few quick observations I want to point out and we'll be done today. The first is this. Motherhood, motherhood proclaims hope in God. Brothers, I want you to hear about your sisters in the room as I say these things. Motherhood proclaims hope in God. See, on the one hand, we could read a story like this and think, how irresponsible for this slave woman and her husband to sort of have this relationship. Don't they know the death culture that's being run by Pharaoh? Don't they know what's happening? Couldn't they just hold off their young love a little while longer until greater peace came about? How irresponsible to bring a child into a world like that. Don't you know that Pharaoh wants all the baby boys dead? But what Jochebed is modeling for us is that she is confident, 
Jochebed is confident that history really does belong to God. It doesn't belong to the world or to Pharaoh, even when it doesn't seem so at the present. She trusted in really tumultuous times in the faithfulness of God. She trusted it. She trusted that if God wants to give the gift of a baby, then he's big enough to accomplish his purposes for that baby. Motherhood points to hope in God. Motherhood points to hope in God. It's so easy in our culture to think the similar things. You know, it's a bad time to have a baby. It's an unwise thing to have a baby because the culture around us feels like it's crumbling. There's so many crazy things that are happening in the world. How do I bring a, such a, a precious, vulnerable life into this moment? But Jochebed reminds us that if God calls you to have a baby, then what you're doing is you're planting your feet on the rock of Jesus. You're planting your feet on the rock of Jesus and you're trusting God is the one who's in charge of both my life and life and this life. Motherhood points. Motherhood points to hope in God. The second thing I want you to see is that motherhood offers unseen worship. I love this. For Jochebed, in addition to the night feedings and the diapers and however that worked in the ancient world and all the other work that she did to care for Moses, things that were happening while everyone else in the house was asleep. I want you to take notice of this and just think about this. She took Jochebed, took God knows how long, careful attention to detail. God knows how long it took her to build that basket out of reeds and to weave that basket so tight that it would bear out water. We don't know when she worked on that basket. Probably in the early hours of the morning or late at night because the Egyptians were looking for baby boys. But like so much else of motherhood, what she did to love and to serve her baby, it wasn't seen as a big deal. It wasn't seen as important. Probably others mocked her for it. It wasn't celebrated by the people around her, but it happened quietly and it happened in hiddenness and it happened, she was building that basket as an act of worship to the living God. What no one else saw, listen mothers, God sees. What no one else sees and what no one else values, moms, the service that you offer, especially the physically exhausting service in the first part of parenting can feel like such a drain and it can feel like such a life suck from all the other stuff out into the world that feels important to you or feels important to other people. I know that was true for my wife early on. I know so many moms, moms of young kids in our church that feel guilty that like, well, I just don't get to read my Bible anymore like I used to. Things are so dominant and like demanding now as a, as a mom. And listen, what I want you to hear is those little acts of service, those things that are unseen, those things that are menial. I'm talking about the changing of diapers, the nursing of babies, the ways in which you care for the wounds of a scraped knee. Those unseen things, when they're done as an act of love and worship, or done as an act of love they are worship unto God. That's worship. When you understand the gift of life, changing a diaper could actually be something that's reflected back as worship unto God. Like quite literally, those things for so many moms where you feel unappreciated and unseen, those are some of the crowns that you will throw at the feet of Jesus on the great day. 
Those are acts of worship to sustain life. Those are good things. And those things matter. Even if our culture tells you they don't matter, our culture loves to celebrate big and sexy things done publicly. But throughout the scriptures, our God delights in quiet and hidden things done in the secret place for his glory. That's so much of what's happening in motherhood. The third thing I want to point out is that motherhood is about sending mixed with pain. It's about sending mixed with pain. I want you to imagine for just a moment what it would have felt like to have been Jochebed. Things were getting worse in Egypt. It went from Pharaoh commanding that all the midwives would kill baby boys to Pharaoh making a public decree that anybody can and should kill these baby boys. And she hides, she hides Moses for as long as she possibly can. It tells us she hid him for three months. And then things get to this place where there's this crossroads where she can't hide him anymore. She can't hide him anymore. Can you imagine how her heart must have been breaking? What's gonna happen to my beautiful son? And so what Jochebed did was something that's just an acute level, sort of concentrated version of literally what every mom has to do. She lets her baby go and she trusts God. Like, there's ways where I try to think about what she must have been understanding. And I just confess, I'll never fully understand this. But I do feel some of my wife's struggle as our kids are growing older and we have less control than we once did. And certainly empty nesters understand this to an even larger degree. There's a releasing and there's a trusting that mothers have to face at an acute level that's just special. And it's a model for the rest of the church. Remember what Simeon the prophet said to Mary when she entered into the temple. He said to her, for you to mother him is gonna be like a sword piercing your soul. And that's an experience that every mother endures. Every mother endures. To raise kids and to send kids into the world, hard it is to do, is a model for the entire church of the importance of releasing and trusting God, raising up and sending out and letting go of God's good gifts. It's a sacred thing you moms model for us. For all you college students in the room, your mothers have modeled sacred things to you by sending you into the world. God sends you into the world. God sent his son into the world and he does so with every intention of protecting. But moms are forced to trust God in unique ways here. Moms model for us at every turn the goodness of open-handedness that God's at work even when I can't see it. God will take care. And the last thing I wanna point out today, the fourth thing, is that motherhood makes a generational impact. Motherhood makes a generational impact. What's amazing about Jochebed, you just see this little thing about her weaving baskets together. Like, that's not like a craft that she like, you know, mama bear instincts. All of a sudden, I don't know how to weave baskets and now I'm a basket weaver or something. What I'm saying is that Jochebed had lots of gifts. She was a skillful, artistic woman. I'm sure there's other things that she did with her life that were amazing that we don't know about. But here's what we do know for sure about her. She was a mom to Moses. She was a mom to Miriam. And she was a mom to Aaron. And in case you don't know those names, Miriam, the sister of Moses, 
prophesied and led Israel in singing worship to God as they crossed the Red Sea. That was an inheritance of faith that she received from her mom. Jochebed also raised Aaron, who stood by his brother's side as a priest before God to the people. And then there was Moses. I'm sure you've heard of him before. God used him to bring the people out of Egypt. And all this from Jochebed. She made a generational impact. Just by being a mom. Just by being a mom. Just by showing up. And one of the things I want so badly for our church as we keep growing with young families is that we would counter the lie of the world that being a mom is something less important than all the other things you could do with your life. I want us to counter that lie as if being a mom is like circling this runway until all the other important stuff in life can happen. My wife and I have fought these impressions uh, even as early parents when she was stepping away from her amazing career where she was making more money than I'll ever make as a pastor, you know. I'm like, you know, she's my sugar mama in many ways. <laughs> the church just doesn't pay that good, sweetheart, you know. And, um, but it was like the calling to be a mom. And we'll figure out how the finances are supposed to work. But she was made to feel like, well, I went to college and I got this degree to have this sort of career. Maybe I'm not pulling my weight anymore and I'm not being significant anymore. And she was made to feel like all this is important stuff that she was supposed to do, she's not doing and she was just a mom. But it's really the big stuff out there that people are gonna celebrate and she started to have even like identity crisis and we were walking through all of that and that's not my own story or my wife's story, that's sort of the story for so many. There's all sorts of things I want you to hear that God has designed for you sisters and all those things matter. And there's all kinds of gifts and capacities that you have that go beyond motherhood. You're not just a mom. I'm just saying, though, there's something about an essence there of giving life that's a valuable thing. You're bigger than that, but you're not less than that. And so please, please, please don't buy the lie that if God calls you to be a mom, that you're somehow sacrificing the best for something lesser. That's not true. That's not true. Quite literally, I'm prepared to make this statement. Quite literally, Moms shape the history of the world when they give their life to their kids. You're shaping the world. You're sending out an image bearer of the most high God. You're shaping the world. And I want us to be a church that honors moms and blesses moms. When the world says that that doesn't matter, I want us to be able to stand back up and just say, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about and we're not even gonna engage with that kind of nonsense. These are image bearers of the living God. And I'll close with this, this helpful little article from uh, Rachel Jankovic from Desiring God. It's a lengthy quote, but it gets to the point and it'll be the closer. In our world, children rank way below college, below world travel for sure, below the ability to go out at night at your leisure, below honing your body at the gym, below any job that you may have or hope to get. In fact, children rate below your desire to sit around and pick your toes if that's the thing you want to do. They're below everything. Children are the last thing that you should ever spend your time on, the world says. Motherhood is not a hobby, it's a calling. You don't collect children because you find them cuter than stamps. It's not something to do if you can squeeze the time in. It's what God gave you time for. Christian mothers carry their children in hostile territory 
when you are in public with them, you are standing with and defending the objects of cultural dislike. They represent inconvenience. You publicly testify that you value what God values and that you refuse to value what the world values. You stand with the defenseless in front of the needy and you represent everything that our culture hates because you represent laying down your life for another. And laying down your life for another represents the gospel. That's why this is prophetic. That's why this matters. That's why motherhood is a gift from God and it's been given uniquely to women at the level of essence, not just biological, but spiritual mothering, friendship, fostering life, because life itself is a testimony to the living God and not even the gates of hell will push back his church. Everywhere that Jesus goes, he brings life. And moms, women, you, the way you foster that relationally, spiritually and biologically is a testimony to the world of what God is like. We receive you as God's gift to us. This is God's word to us. Let's pray. (coughs) Our Father, I do pray this morning that my sisters have been edified and built up. I thank you for the way that every woman in this room, by their just essence of womanhood and femininity, points to hope in God. I thank you for the way that you foster life uniquely through them. And that all of us have felt built up at points in our life because of our relationship to a female. God, I also thank you for the way that moms, God, I thank you for the way that moms carry out so much prophetic ministry through unseen worship. And God, would you help us to be a church that would testify of your gift of life by receiving it at great cost and inconvenience to ourselves, just like the Lord Jesus did. I pray, God, where there's pain in this room, where there's loss in this room, where there's lament in this room, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would point those women and those sisters to the Lord Jesus who is their covering. For every woman who's barren, you've always been a present help. You've always comforted the sorrowful. And you've also always testified of their dignity. And so, God, we offer ourselves to you as brothers and sisters. We offer ourselves to you as moms and dads. We offer ourselves to you as men and women made by you and made for you. And we offer this prayer in the strong name of our Lord Jesus and all we said together is amen.